All right, good morning. Can I have some lights? Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris Plegenpool, and I want to do something really special. We're going to have Jonah McCown is going to read from God's Word for us. Would everyone please stand for a reading of God's Word, and you are ready. Jonah, go for it. Mark 6, 7 through 13. Nice job. And he called the, tw the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave the authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey not except his staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen, then you will leave, shake off the dust off your feet as a testimony against them, so that they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent and they cast out many dominions and anointed with oil, so many who were sick and healed them. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you. That was an incredible experience. Thank you, Jonah, for reading God's Word. And now, Treehouse Kids, we are excited that you're heading up to the great classroom that you are going to. All right. If, you, if you're not familiar, one of the things that we're excited about is on July 31st, we talked about this, where it was our concert of praise, and it's a special sending off for two of our church planners, which are so pumped about them, James Foster and Joseph Aiken. We're so excited that they will be planning churches in the greater Austin area. We'll be telling you more about that as time goes. And yeah, you can clap for that. That's an exciting thing. Um, okay, if you guys didn't know it, uh, I go by Pastor Pleck, and uh, one of the things I love are questions. So if you have any questions, like you think uh, Christianity is weird, you know, Jesus, we believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose to the dead, we're pretty excited about that. And if you think that is bizarre, please text me. Uh, or if you think, if you have any other questions about the sermon or whatever, we talk about all your questions uh, tomorrow morning, and they get uh, posted throughout the week. Uh, really excited about that. Hey, and you know who I'm really excited about? Who's here? Piper. Yeah, Piper. I'm. So, you have to write, raise your hand for me. Please, can you do that? Yeah, Piper, one of my neighbors. Piper Pons, you are so cool. I'm so glad you are here and uh, in the house. Mindy, so grateful that you brought the fam, and I'm so excited for uh, you guys to experience today. And I had to get a shout out to Piper because I just did because you're that great. All right, hey, uh, one of you guys, for some of you guys know that my mom uh, has been in the hospital. Uh, she had surgery, and for a while there, it was like, you know, heart surgery, and whenever you have heart surgery, it's sort of a freaked out thing. And uh, Drew actually put this in perfect perspective for me, uh, the way he put it. It's, it's not about the odds, because the odds were 99% chance that she was going to be completely fine. Like the doctor before the surgery, it's like, listen, we do this all the time. I like knock out five of these. It's like an oil change. And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, and I'm like, wow, okay, that's great. But then when you think about open heart surgery, uh, the stakes are really high. So the odds are high, which is great news, but the stakes were high, which makes you feel really um, anxious, right? There's a lot of that where you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, and so, uh, so just so you know, my mom is fine. The surgery went about as uneventful as anyone could have hoped. And so it went really, really well. And I'll, I'm excited to have my mom back here at church in a couple weeks. So really cool how that all turned out. Now, 
the thing with odds and stakes, the, the, that sort of thought has been with me. It affects everything. It affects your dating life, right? If, uh, if you, there's like a low odds that you shall say yes, high stakes, you'll be cast into Loserville for the rest of your life. You're not going to do anything about it, right? And so what happens is a lot of us are so afraid of things that we don't ever move forward. And I think what happens when it comes to the gospel, um, odds and stakes play into a lot of it. Like God's given us a lot of promises. Like he'll say, it's like, if you lack wisdom, he'll give you the answers. But you got to believe and not doubt. 100% chance he will give you wisdom when you ask. That your soul will be saved if you trust Jesus with it. And I feel like people, you're like, odds, stakes. There's a lot of stuff going on. What are the odds that that's actually true? The stakes are really high, though. You know, I feel like that's the part that we wrestle with. And I think that might be why we have a fear of the cost of discipleship. Because when we talk about following Jesus, it comes with a little bit of a cost. And one of those primary costs is rejection, right? When you think about one of the primary things as a Christian that you're to do is like tell other people about how awesome Jesus is. I mean, we talk about like he's done so much for my life. All you have to do is tell people about it. But what can happen is we can get afraid. You want to know why? Because Christianity is on the down. It's, it's no longer, it's, we're in postmodern world. We're, we're in a post-Christian nation. We are all those things. For you to talk about Jesus now means there's a high chance you're going to get rejected. And you're in Austin, Texas for crying out. We don't talk about Jesus. And so we fear rejection. The odds and the stakes are too high. Or, okay, maybe it's not quite this, but there's a chance of persecution. Maybe you're like, there's cancel culture is a real thing. And you're like, nah, I don't know. I don't want to get persecuted. And I don't want to get like, if I say what I think or say what I want about Jesus, he's the only way, uh, a call for repentance. That people are going to be like, no, you need to sit down. You need, you, we take you off Twitter. We keep moving. All right. Or how about this? And this might be for somebody here. You're exhausted. And so for you to talk about following Jesus or doing anything like that, you're like, listen, love to check that box, but I have checked a lot of boxes and my week is so full. If you were to understand how full my week is, if you understand what my life was like and how all the stuff and all the things, it's just exhausting. In fact, maybe you came from the last church you're at because you were exhausted at that church and you're going to hang out here for a little while and then we're going to exhaust you and then you're going to move on to the next church and then you're going to be completely exhausted and all the whole time you're like, why am I so tired? And so we're going to talk about that this morning. So uh, super excited. If you don't have a Bible, um, one of the things we love is to give away a Bible. So you can have this one. Anyone need one? Uh, we love uh, give away God's Word. There should be one somewhere in your vicinity. If you don't have a copy of God's Word at all, this is our gift to you. All right, we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 6 on page 841. And we're going to pray and ask God to bless the reading of his Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. And I'm praying that as we get into your word about what it is the cost of following you, you would help us see you clearly. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory. Amen. Okay, so last week, um, we, were, we were in the Gospel of Mark as well. And there was a story about a woman, uh, about a, 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 a leader of a synagogue. So think about like the chairman of the board for the synagogue, okay? And uh, he had a daughter, and she was 12 years old, and she was sick. And he goes to Jesus, he hey, Jesus, we heal my daughter. And on the way, there's an interruption in the story, and we go away from 
Jairus, and we start talking about this other woman who's had a 12-year-old problem, and that's 12-year-old bleeding in her system. And so then all of a sudden there's that story, and then she gets healed, and then we come back to Jairus. Okay. There's a structural reason for that. What God did was he was showing us how what Jesus does, he flips like the social hierarchy because the outside of the story was Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and the middle of the story was this woman. So I call it a structural hamburger. So here's the story of Jairus. It was the beginning and the end. In the middle was the woman with a problem. And she was an outcast, marginalized by society. What God does, he takes the marginalized, puts them at the center. And then the, the person that was at the center was sort of marginalized to the edge. But both are fine healing in Jesus. How awesome is that? Okay. That same sort of structure is present throughout the book of Mark. And so, in fact, this week, it's, it's, it's more pronounced. In fact, it's sort of weird if you don't see it. If, you don't, if I didn't like, tell you this was coming, you'd be like, what a weird turn of events there was. So we start out with Jesus is going to send the 12 disciples out, that passage we just read, and then the disciples are going to come back. Go out, come back. And you're like, that makes sense. And in the middle is this bizarre story about how John the Baptist died. And you're like, what a weird, I'm not sure why we're talking about that. But remember, the the outside of the hamburger points to the meat, which is the point of it. And it's like disciples being sent out will face persecution. That's kind of what Mark is doing structurally for the reader. Okay, you guys with me so far? All right. So I'll, you'll see this. If, when you start looking for it in Mark, you'll see it almost every pericope. Pericope just means little story. All right, here we go. We're gonna look, we're, so with that in mind, the hamburger structure in mind, let's get into Mark 6, verse 6. So Jesus goes out among the villages and then teaching. Then, after he's done all that, he's now, he's, part of uh, training is modeling it, and then they assist you as you do it, and then you watch them as they do it. So he's now going to call the 12 and begin to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So we saw Jesus in chapters past, there would be like, um, this dude who was the Hulk because he had demons and he could break chains and stuff. And then he, Jesus would be like, hey, demons, be gone. They'd go into a whole herd of pigs. Pigs would do a swan dive off a cliff, kill themselves. And so that's that same sort of power that Jesus has. And he gives it to his disciples. Okay? Verse 8. He charges them to take nothing for the journey. So they're going to go all the villages they're going to take nothing except a staff because they, you know, you look really cool with a staff, I guess. And no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But at least he lets them wear sandals. I, I like that he's like, well, you can wear some sandals. And not put on two tunics. And the reason why you would have two tunics, one tunic you'd wear as a shirt, outfit, and then the second tunic you could use as a blanket at night. Because when you were traveling, you usually stopped off the side of the road somewhere, found made a little lean-to, you'd go to take a nap, and it's kind of like California as far as weather, so it's warm in the day, cool at night, and so you would have a little blanket. So don't do that. Don't take two tunics, and don't take any money. Don't take. You are going to be relying on the people's hospitality, which as Americans in our culture, that would be terrifying. Like, you're going to go into a random, hey, how you doing? Um, um, my name's Chris Pleckenpole. I've got a great message for you. And can I stay the night? Like it, now, in that culture, that is actually way more common. Hospitality is an actual thing. They're not like, you know, when you go around the world, 
only Western society is about as closed off as we are. We like live in isolation boxes to the rest of the world and we drive in isolation chambers to everywhere we go to work. Anyway, it's, it's just kind of how we, how we do things. And so what happens is, is that this is sort of more normal, okay? And so he's like preparing them. This is what you're going to do. It's, you're, it's like you're going, it's like staying at a hostel as you travel across Europe, only you're going to stay at people's houses as you tell them about Jesus, okay? And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. In other words, don't go looking for better accommodations. If someone like you're at somebody's house and, you know, they got a bed for you or a place to sleep and then you go next door and they got the pool and the media room, don't be like, oh, man, um, mm, I'm going to stay at this guy's house. No, just stay with the first person that takes you in. Don't be kind of upgrade. All right. All right, so stay there until you depart from it. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you where, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, what you would do in this cultural day is that if you travel, as a Jewish person, if you traveled to the Decapolis, which is a Gentile area, or you traveled through Samaria, which was another Gentile area, what you would do is when you, you, you came back into uh, Gentile area, you'd shake the dust off your feet, kind of like welcome mat style, like to go like, I'm not un- I don't want any of that uncleanness of that culture to follow me in. All right, which is just like, man, people really didn't get along back then. Exactly, it's kind of like today. All right, so what would happen is if you went to that part of town where the people voted different than you or the, the people believed different than you, you would, you would intend, you're just like, oh, man, good news, I'm out of that neighborhood. But the reality was now the neighborhood it was being expanded as the kingdom of God was being offered to all people. And if someone didn't receive the message of the king, because all the whole first half of Mark is the presentation of the king to Israel that they might receive him. And if they didn't receive him, they were no longer a part of the kingdom. And so you'd shake the dust off your feet. You are unclean. And it was a warning. It was a testimony against them. Like bad news for you. You rejected the king. To which in our culture, we're like, I didn't vote for that king. So who cares? No, this is Different, And in a world where God is the king of the universe, and he's saying, I'm coming as king, and I'm sending my herald before you. To which you're like, who are you? And, this, and, the, and Jesus knew that that would happen. So that's why he gave him the power to heal. Watch. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Which, <laughs> when you say this kind of word, people like go, whoa, Chris, come on, repentance. That's like, that's such a, one, churchy word. Two, Repent from what? Like, aren't we all sinners? Yes. And so you're, what you're repenting from is from being your own king. So the heralds went out. You're repenting from being your own king, uh, aligning your life to God's way, and no longer committing treason against the king because he is coming. And so that's what, that's what they're, hey, repent. The king, kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming. The king is coming. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. And when you anointed with oil, it sort of represented kind of two things. One, it could be a salve that you would put on someone's wound, but also it sort of represented the Holy Spirit that, that, was, that was coming to come upon them, and it was like a commissioning of, of the culture of God's blessing. And then many who were, okay, and they, they cast out many demons, anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. And this is important. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it said that the Messiah would come with a ministry of healing. So this is important as verification that 
the king who's saying for you to repent actually has the right to say, repent, change your life. All the sin and the dark stuff that you've been following, leave that, align yourself with the king and go with him. And the way that you know that he's authenticated is because miracles that have been prophesied about the Messiah in Isaiah 53 are coming true. Make sense? And so that's why everyone should have been like, oh, I'm on board. But here it is. Discipleship involves giving healing and receiving rejection. Okay, this goes back to the odd stakes, right? So what happens with us, um, let's go to dating for a second because I think this is just fun to talk about. Men in general don't ask women out anymore. Isn't this true? What we do is we talk to girls, okay? And then once we got a sure thing, we sort of go on a non-date. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You go on a non-date first, and then after you've sort of gone non-dating for a while, then you lock it down a long time after that, keep your options fully open, okay? That's sort of how men sort of approach the dating world today, whether it's on Hinge or whether it's through like you have a friend and you're sort of interested, and so you kind of, you walk it in, okay? And that becomes a problem because, and the reason why we do this is because the odds are high. Because if we get rejected, the stakes are high, and I don't want to go down and feel like a complete pathetic loser. And so, therefore, I'm not going to go take on the odds. All right. And the same thing happens about this thing of giving healing and receiving rejection. Did you know that there are people that come here and they're like transformed by the Word of God? They're like, wow. Who knew the word of God doesn't return void? And that somebody has a, is their life is transformed because they believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose to the dead. Holy Spirit lives in them. And then there is peace when their whole world's on fire. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, when your whole life is a complete disaster and you're like, is he talking about my life? Yeah, I'm talking about your life. And then like everything about it is broken, but somehow in the midst of that storm, you're like, it's all gonna be okay because I got Jesus. But there's oddly people um, who love the wisdom of God. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, all of our uh, outside setup is done by a guy named uh, Matthew, Maddie. And Maddie actually doesn't believe in Jesus, but uh, he loves the church. <laughs> and I love Maddie, and he, and he usually comes to both services. Like he loves hearing this stuff. Uh, it's, it's baffling. So he'll set the whole thing up, he'll come in, he'll listen, and then be like, nah, I'm good. I'm like, man, glad you're here. So, so glad you're here. And I think the reason is, is we want healing without a king. I want all the benefits of Christianity without any of the submission part. I'll take the salvation, but none of the lordship. I, I like this part about Jesus. He really loves people. He's very comforting, but I'm not really into go and make disciples of all nations and all that jazz. Let's just leave that aside. I like the happy parts of Jesus that is all about me. Okay, so I think it's because we don't really, and the reason why people don't reject is they don't really fully understand What's on the other side of receiving Jesus? And the best way to explain this is a couple of years ago, I just took a hundred dollars, and it, it's you guys. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it lasted for a while because I kept trying to give a hundred dollars away, and then more people with random hundred dollars get shipped in my pocket. I'd be at a restaurant, someone just give me money, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd feel like all this pressure to give away money. Anyway, I go to the apartment next door, I just knock on doors, and I would just pray, you know, hey, can I pray for you? And if someone said yes, then eventually I'd pray for them, give them a hundred dollars, and then walk away. And, and, but for the longest time, I'd, I'd knock on the door, and, and we're like, seat's taken. You know, like, they didn't want to deal with me. 
And so uh, I had like, I had all this gift to give them. They didn't understand it and they didn't know it and they didn't want anything to have about it. And so there was a, it wasn't like in my head, in my heart, I wasn't offended by it because I'm like, I know what you're missing out on. I got a hundred bucks. You just missed out on a hundred bucks. And I think what happens is we don't know, and this is why we reject Jesus, is we don't know what we're really getting. Because when we look at Christians, we see people whose lives are miserable and they're just like, you know, living these controlled, non-party lifestyles of just uh, rigid, rigidity. And there's stuff you respect about it, but it just is like, Meh. And so what happens if you haven't accepted Christ, you don't, and it's like, it, I, it, it's like this reality of like, I don't understand what you guys are all into. And I get it that you talk about the hope, but I think what happens for a lot of non-Christians, they see us not living in joy and they're like, why would I want to do that? I already got misery. And so I think that's convicting for me um, in the sense of that my life has to be something that someone would want to take part in. And so when I'm offering eternal life, I'm offering Jesus, I can't get upset. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the great message of a great king who wants all to come near. Okay, enough on that. Now watch. Here, that, that's the first bun, all right? So the top bun, now we're going to the meat. Okay, and then we'll follow it up with the bun again. And so this is the meat, and now we're going to take a way crazy left turn. And then King Herod heard of it. Heard of what? Heard of the disciples being sent out in Jesus' name. Uh, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. All right, just for fun fact, uh, John the Baptist didn't actually do any miracles. Did you guys know this? Uh, John 10, 41 says that he performed no sign, yet everything he said about Jesus was true. Okay. But who the heck is King Herod and why do we care? So King Herod was a local ruler, uh, a tetrarch, which just means he was a ruler of a quarter of his father's kingdom. It was split between his brothers. And so he is ruler over um, the area where Jesus was and was doing ministry. And he was just a puppet king. And so he's got really no authority other than that which Rome has given him. Okay, so just, but he still has authority. He's, got, he's living his best life with a lot of, wealth and opulence. And he, we're going to find out that he has got a little guilt complex about John the Baptist. Watch this. So he's like, that's why John the Baptist has been risen from the dead. That's why these powers are working him. But to others, he said, others said, he's Elijah. Elijah was a prophet from like a thousand years before, but John the Baptist dressed like Elijah with like camel's hair and ate bugs, and he was kind of wild and crazy. He looked like a homeless guy, even a day when everybody looked homeless. Anyway, so, but others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And you sort of feel like the guilt kind of coming off him. And now we're going to get a backstory. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. In other words, his wife didn't like John the Baptist, so he arrested him. Well, why was that? Well, that's because Herodias was actually his brother Philip's wife. This is where like, the, the Bible gets like, into like a day, daytime TV soap opera. But it's like, okay, so Herodias was originally married to Philip, and then Herod had a better part of the kingdom. Herodias was a very attractive woman. She's like, Philip, you're dead to me. I want... Uh, your brother. And so she leaves him, comes over to Herod, and they are wanting to live happily ever after, except for there's this prophet guy in town who keeps, keeps making a big deal about it. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. To which, 
listen, if you're, this is the part of me that goes, John, let me give you some helpful hint. Herod's small potatoes. We don't need to mess with Herod. Why? Who cares who Herod's married to? Why we care? Like, granted, it's adultery. I know that that's bad, but I mean, an entire culture of adulterers out there. Why are we calling out the, the king, the local governor of the area? Why does it matter? Especially when it's going to land you in prison. In fact, it makes his wife wants you dead. Look, Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. Why? For Herod feared John, which is really weird. <laughs> this is so weird. Why? Herod feared John. Why? Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. Wait, wait, wait. He's calling out Herod's sin and yet Herod is keeping him safe? Okay, keep going with me. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. No, 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 no. This is where you're like, you got, you got to check this out. This, this makes no sense. Here's Herod ruling John the Baptist, the holy man. Thousands of people come to him, and they repent. He baptizes them in the Jordan. Herod's very interested in this guy. Uh, whenever he tries to interact. You know, I don't know if they had a personal meeting, but John calls him out for his marrying his brother's wife. He arrests him because you don't call out the leadership. Uh, he got canceled and then he got arrested. Okay. That's kind of what happened. Then Herod would secretly go and visit him. And what did John say that made him keep coming back? This is so weird, but watch this. So he keeps coming back to him. But an opportunity came. Opportunity for what? To kill him. When Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced. Now this is... We're not talking like did ballet. We're talking like she worked at Perfect Ten and she came over for a quick... You know, were you with me? You guys with me? So she comes in and she dances and she does her thing and it's lavacious and it's intense and everybody's loving it. And you've got to remember, this is Herod's niece. And they pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish. To which you're like, oh my gosh. And I will give it to you. And I vowed to her, whatever you ask, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now, did you know that he can't actually do that? This is a euphemistic saying. It's like, I'll give you whatever you want within reason, because he couldn't actually give up half his kingdom because that was Rome's and they put him in position. So he can't actually give that away. All right. So she goes out and asks her mother, for what should I ask? And of course the mother said, the head of John the Baptist. So, I mean, this is why you read the Bible. You've got adultery, intrigue, murder. It's all here. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. To which, like, man, she is a sick woman. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Now watch this. This is why I always tell, tell men, when in charge, be in charge. When in charge, be. Are you the king or is this girl the queen? I mean, what's going on? And he was exceedingly sorry. The same Greek word comes up when Jesus is facing death and he's like pleading with God, if you would let this cup pass from me. He's troubled in his spirit, exceedingly sorry. That's how bad this is. But because of his oaths 
and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her because he didn't want to look bad in front of the people. Sound familiar? Let's think there's another guy in the Bible, uh, Pontius Pilate, knew that Jesus was innocent, but didn't want to look bad in front of the people. So he's like, ah, go ahead and kill him. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother, which she was like, sweet, put that on a pike, put it on the room, we'll hang it up there. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Creepy. But discipleship involves giving truth and receiving persecution. Now, let's go back to um, John the Baptist. Why couldn't he just keep his mouth shut about who he was sleeping with? Is that, I mean, why? Why do we have to talk about that? Why that what, I mean, like, listen, if this, he wasn't the only person in an illicit relationship. Why? Because here it comes to this. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's saying, repent. And what that means is, your ways that are not aligned with the kings, get them right. Now that doesn't mean, what he's saying is not like, you're not gonna lust anymore. You're not gonna, uh, get, ang- you're not gonna get angry anymore. You're not gonna, it's not that. It's just that I'm gonna align with the king. The king is right and I'm gonna follow his way. Now, that, and that's why it's important for him to say the, the one that you're living with is wrong because in that instance, that's where he, Herod, liked being king and all the glory that went with it. I can, I can do what I want to do when I want to do. I don't, listen, God, I'm sure you got some great law out there, but it isn't really working for me right now. And so therefore I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Thank you very much. And so that doesn't align with the gospel, which is Jesus is king. And if you want to be saved, then you recognize his kingship. Okay. And then the thing that was interesting here, I just thought this was so weird, is that Herod, when John the Baptist confronted him, wanted to hear him more. No, no, think about this. Think about this. Like, let's say you're living with your girlfriend, you're in some sort of sin, you're in rebellion in whatever way, and, and, I, and we have a conversation about it, and you're like, oh, tell me more. Tell me more about how wrong I am. Like, who does that? Like, and not only that, you put the guy in prison to protect him, and then you come and visit him. Like, okay, okay, give me a little more about this, about the, like, the repentance, the coming of the king, and blah, blah, blah. Give that to me when I get, well, you're in sin. I don't know, how did he say it? What made him want to come back? And it reminded me when I was in the military, I don't know if you guys know this about the military. The military is like not exactly a bunch of Christians running around. It's like the exact opposite of that, of people living the most hedonistic life possible because they're young and fun and all the things, okay? So what would happen is whenever they got around me, they would respect religion and Christian things. And they would say like, they, you know, they'd start talking and inevitably foul language would come out of their mouth. They'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir, about that. I didn't mean, to. and I'm like, not that I care, but you're, res- you're respecting the wrong person. I'm nobody. And I appreciate that you want to correct your language around me because you feel like I'd be offended. It's not like I've never heard a curse word before. It's not, that doesn't offend me. But what offends a holy God is you saying, I don't want you as king. I want to be my own king. 
That's what got Satan thrown out of heaven, and that's what keeps you from being accepted into his kingdom. He's like, I want to be my own king. I will be my own king, even if it means my kingdom is in hell, and it's just me. Thank you very much. And I think that's the struggle. Now, what happened for John is he came, and listen, I want you to look at this. In a world that's so polarized, can I just go here for a second? Think about this. Our world is so politically polarized. I look on, like social media is like a battlefield and there's carnage everywhere. And people are just like pointing keyboards at people. And we create like this huge divide between right and left. And there's just anger and vitriol and just frustration coming across at each other. I mean, it, it's it's... It's insane, and what's weird is even John, the, I mean, I don't think of John the Baptist as like, a, you know, a, a real nurturing, comfy guy that's like, oh, I understand about your pain. No, like, this, this is a guy that lived a rough life, and for some reason, when he spoke, even the people that represented the complete opposite, like Herod dressed in fine linens and probably had a thousand thread count, like, sheets, uh, John slept in camel's hair in caves, and yet, here is John the Baptist, when he speaks, Herod's like, tell me more. I want in. What is this? So I want you to, because I feel like what happens is, as Christians, we feel like we need to circle the wagons, weapons out. And I feel like the, the, probably the, the wiser answer is to be uncompromising in our truth, but be so loving that people are like, tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more that our lives would be so different, marked by something of truth and love and grace and comfort and hope. But I think what happens for a lot of us is our life looks no different. We're just as stressed out as everybody else. And we have nothing to offer a world that's dying and in brokenness and and in sickness. And so what we're offering is just like, yeah, it's just a beating out there. I don't know. And people are like, okay, I guess you've got nothing for me. But what I love, this is why I love this. So think about this. Think about the bold, uncompromising truth and the love that John the Baptist showed that even someone as pompous and arrogant as Herod wanted to listen to him. Is that how people are around you? Think about your coworkers. Think about the people that you actually don't know, but you know them online (laughs) because you're remote working and you just sort of have some anger towards them. You kind of want to just jab them with one of those little shots across the bow. Now think about that. Do people love to come and listen to you? Because what you have to say is powerful and impactful and loving. And they're like, tell me more about that. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. All right, so here it is. Now we're back to the other half of the sandwich. The apostles returned. Apostles just means sent ones. They're not actually the uppercase apostles, which are like, you know, the apostles, office of apostle. These are just sent ones. The sent ones returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. So they were busy, busy. And there's a tendency when you get busy to stay busy. Because we make busyness a virtue in our culture. Watch. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And I thought this was beautiful. See, discipleship involves giving up meals and receiving rest from Jesus. So there's a part of which 
you know, serving Jesus is hard work. When, whenever uh, you go on a mission trip, I always tell people, you eat when you can, you sleep when you can. That's just the way it is here. Because the flexibility you need on any sort of mission trip is like 100,000% because the plan changes as soon as you make the plan. But the reality is when you, whenever you're dealing with ministry, is like the plan changes. People's lives get interrupted. Stuff happens. But there has got to be a place where we rest. And I think what happens for us, we're so focused on our comfort that we miss out on our rest. Does this make sense? And so, because we want a standard of living. We have a level of comfort that we want to live in. And we think once we achieve that, then we'll finally have joy. We'll finally have happiness. We'll finally have the comfort, but we never have actually any rest. We're so worried about maintaining our comfort that we never get any rest. And so uh, in a world that's sort of defined by business. So like if I, if we were to ask each other, I'd say, Hey, how you doing? You just like, I'm busy. And I'd say, yeah, me too. And I, we'd just talk about how busy you are. And then we talk about all our meetings and appointments. And in fact, if, if I've been to a lot of funerals, cause I'm a pastor, it's kind of what I do. Uh, usually, usually someone's obituary is filled up with how busy they were their whole life. It goes from, it's like a, whenever I go to a funeral, it's like somebody puts their resume into an obituary and then they just read off the resume. And then in this time, he works from this time to this time and this time. And you just go, what a sad life. Because it's sad. If all your life is defined by how you kept yourself busy for 50 years, that's it. Like, and then at the very end, and he survived by uh, these three children and these three grandchildren. Boom, move on. And I'm like, what you saw in that is where the priority was. And I don't think, if, we, if you were to take an inventory of your life right now, you would say, if you have kids, you go, listen, I'm busy and I want to give engagement to them, but I, listen, I got stuff to do. And I'm like, I don't, I don't doubt that you have stuff to do. I know that there's a, a level of comfort you're trying to achieve. But if we're not, if our, we're not modeling for our kids what rest is, then how are they ever going to know what rest is? If you don't model what it is to spend time in God's word, to spend time praying, spend time seeking, how in the world are they going to learn? They're going to learn to be anxious. They're going to go learn to go stare at their phone because who do you think they learned that from? They're going to learn to kind of get involved here and then find their hope here. And man, this thing is teaching us a lot of garbage. You guys know that? I mean, there's some great, I mean, you can listen to Pastor Flex podcast right on your phone. I mean, there's some, listen, it's not all 100% garbage but what happens we get so busy and we get so focused in keeping up and maintaining that we miss out on rest and listen the most important thing we can do is rest did you know we work from rest here's how i know it remember what day were people created remember the, do you guys remember this day what six and what was the very the next day was what a day of rest and they didn't so the first thing they did in existence was rest. And then the next day they work. You work from rest, not rest to, or not work to rest. Does that make sense? And so with Jesus, he has saved us. We are of complete peace. There's no work for, left for us to do because our rest has been achieved because Jesus came, died on the cross, rose to the dead, and now we have our souls are at rest. And now we work for him, not so that we can be saved, not that so we can get rest, but because we already have it. Does that make sense? And if you start your day trying to get ahead, right? Because I just knock out some emails real quick when I first wake up. I mean, isn't that what you do? Check the news, check the stocks, check the check, 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 check. I don't, I need to get, I don't want to get behind. As opposed to, I'm going to go before God. 
and I'm going to listen to him and hear his heart for me. I'm going to tell you this morning, my, my devotional time this morning, before I started looking at anything for the sermon, before I started checking emails, was Second Chronicles 1. It's just uh, Solomon's prayer uh, before God, Lord, give me wisdom that I may rule wisely. And I prayed that over me. I prayed that over my children. I prayed that uh, over uh, some other people I disciple. I was just praying that, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you allow me, before I do anything else, to get ahead, to, not, to go over what the sermon's gonna be about before I do anything else? Would you prioritize my life? Would you give me wisdom so I can rest in you that you've got the whole world in your hands, even my life? Does that make sense? And I think what happens is we, we don't do that, and so we're short with our spouse, and they get the leftovers. And then we're short with our kids, we're short with our friends, we're short, 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 because we're so freaking busy. And so the question I have for you is, are you ready for discipleship? And it starts with this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's what Jesus' call is. Come on, come and get rest. And then at the same time, Jesus also says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. And so there's a daily dying to yourself because of the rest that you have. And they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So this morning, I want us to take time to repent. Because I know, I know, I know that you want to do discipleship and you want to get involved in that and follow Jesus, but it's too hard. But see, Jesus, he wanted to make sure you understood how you had to rest in him. See, the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Because remember, Jesus said, I am the manna that has come down from heaven. Manna was a food that sustained the Israelites over 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus is the food that sustains your soul over the next 40 years in the wilderness. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup. Wood for wine, glass for grape juice, plastic cup for sanitary. And that night he was afraid, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Meaning, your rest is found here. My work has been done for you. I died on the cross that you, your sins would be forgiven. You could have eternal life. That's why we sing the songs. No, 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 that's why we sing the songs. That's why we gather. Otherwise, we're just a weird rotary club that has like just an ancient dude as a symbolic mascot. What are we doing? Or he's the son of God and he is the king of the world and we're bound before him, walking it out. And when we come to take the Lord's Supper, we do it with reverence and respect. So if you're a Christian, this is what Christians do. Before you come up here, you're gonna just pause. You're gonna reflect. You're gonna go, Jesus, I'm broken. I'm faithless today. I've got full of doubts, but I need you. And I don't know what you're gonna do to get me through it, but please help me. And that might be your prayer. Or it might be like, I've been lustful and angry and bitter and I've been putting you as last priority. Would you forgive me and restore the relationship? Not that you would be saved, you're already saved, but that you would have relationship. But if today you're not a Christian, if you've always been like, you've stiff-armed God and it's just too much, I'm so glad you're here. And my cry for you is that 
you would receive that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And your first act of faith would be taking communion today as you, you go, this bread, my soul is gonna start living on Jesus like my stomach feeds on this bread, this wine or this grape juice. Uh, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I'm ingesting this because I, I need his work to save me. You get it. Not that this is a ritual of magic ritual that saves you, but this represents symbolically what Jesus did. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God to move over us this morning and have him have his way over our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, um, this morning I'm praying that your grace would be sufficient, your power be made perfect. And God, um, I know we're busy. I know that um, we're at a place, God, that we are frustrated that if we could just get ahead, we could sit back, relax, and just finally have a glass of wine and unwind and watch a, a mindless show. And God, I pray that instead we would rest in you. Take a moment to repent of any of the darkness that's in our hearts where you're not king. And drink the wine that represents our salvation, that you died for us and you didn't stay dead, you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that this morning that you might convict somebody of sin, that maybe for the first time they'd step over that line of faith and say, Jesus, I need you. Oh gosh, do I need you? Please help me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And you would. When they believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for their sins and rose to the dead, and Holy Spirit, you'd enter in their, their soul and you'd just become one with them, and it would be just this beautiful union of souls. And God, I'm praying that uh, for those who've been Christian for a while and things got hard, they would just really take time before they come up here and take the Lord's Supper and just repent and spend time resting in you. Lord, make us ready for your discipleship. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Imagine just for a second, no, no, just imagine what your life would look like if rejection or acceptance what is it at the core of who you are with people, but rather accepting what God has called you to be and your identity in Him? Imagine if the truth was on your lips and people eagerly heard it, even if it resulted in persecution. Imagine what happened if we just didn't get busy, but we found rest and we worked from rest as opposed to work for rest. It would change you, it would change your family and it would change this church to ultimately change that city. It would change everything. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people fully accepted by Christ, fully able to walk in the goodness of God. Go and be a people who proclaim the truth with winsome joy, even at the cost of persecution. Go and be a people who push back the darkness of busyness and find rest in Jesus and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.